Today, inshallah, I just want to go through some important points from Al-Isra wal-Miraj. And the reason why I do want to do this today is because I understand that you know, many people have been asking that, you know, we want to have a big program where we have all the events of Isra wal-Mi'raj uh, explained to us and so forth. And we've been through these stories before in the past. But today, of course, we cannot keep it a very long khatra. I just want to just share a few points from the night of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, things that we can learn from and, and so forth. First of all is that it is not necessarily true that Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj took place in the month of Rajab. Okay, I understand that there are many places around the world where they celebrate the 27th night of Rajab as the night of Layla al-Isra wal-Miraj or, uh, or Shab, as they call it overseas, Shab miraj This is what they call it overseas. So by the way, in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ or in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ rather, it is mentioned that there are differences of opinion in regards to this matter. Some say that it took place in Rabi'ul Awwal, some say that it took place in Rabi'ul Thani. Some even had other opinions. Rajab was also an opinion. But what happened was that later on, later on there were some other scholars who then did their own math, their own calculation, and they came to the determination that perhaps it was the 27th night of Rajab, and hence this became the mainstream opinion and the mainstream following throughout the entire Ummah. It's no different than if you remember, like when you talk about the night of Laytul Qadr. There are some people who are fixated in their mindset that it is only the 27th night of Ramadan that is considered as Laytul Qadr. And perhaps because one time before, there was a, a companion or a tabi'i and during his time, it was the 27th night or this was their own opinion. This was their own opinion and then this became the mainstream opinion. And this is why, by the way, even if you go to many places overseas, even this is a practice amongst many Muslims, that you will not see them dedicate themselves on all the nights the way they will dedicate themselves on the 27th night of Ramadan is because they have this mindset that this is the night of uh, Laytul Qadr. So this is why we have to first understand that when it comes to Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, there are many opinions, of course the mainstream opinion that has become predominant, very well known in the, in the Muslim Ummah is the 27th night of Rajab. Now, the next thing is that when Rasulullah wasallam, when he was taken, of course he was taken from here, from, I mean from, uh, from Makkah al-Mukarramah, to Majl al-Aqsa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He reveals this surah, Subhanallah asra bi'abdi. Allah says that, that all glory be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who took his abd. Okay? Now this is very important to understand. First of all, he took his abd. Who is this abd? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Allah could have said, Muhammad sallallahu Allah could have said that he took his Rasulullah sallallahu on the night of Isra wal Miraj. But he referred to the Prophet as an abd. And by this, the ulama, they say that when a person is a true slave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they put their trust in Allah, they have full iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and nothing deters their faith. This is, by the way, the word abd. If Allah is calling someone his abd, 
the ulama, they say that this is a very high honor given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I understand that the word abd may be considered or may be translated as slave. That Allah took his slave. And I understand that especially when it comes to this country, when you study about slavery and so forth, slave has a very negative connotation. So when we, exp when we translate the word abd as slave, we really do not capture the essence of this word abd. But what Allah is doing over here is he's giving a very high special place a very honorable place to the Prophet by referring to him as an abd and truly if we are truly the abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and if Allah refers to us as an abd and we are the abd and we are referred to as an abd on the day of judgment wallahi this is an honor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so Allah says subhanalladhi asra bi abdihi laylan min al-masjid al-haram ila al-masjid al-aqsa now by the way, some, some people, they have even engaged in a debate. This was a debate that came afterwards that was this perhaps a dream? Or was this a physical experience that the Prophet ﷺ, he went through? And while there are some people who said that this was perhaps only a dream of the Prophet ﷺ, and they say that because, for example, the Prophet ﷺ, he says that when I woke up, Okay, he says, when I woke up, and when you wake up, you wake up after sleeping. You sleep, you see dreams. So that is why some people are of the opinion that this is a dream. But the predominant opinion and the more correct opinion is that this was a physical experience of Rasulullah wasallam. It's because when the Prophet wasallam he sees what he sees. And not only that, but when he's saying that my heart, my chest was cut open. And the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Asra bi abdi. Asra bi abdi means to travel at night. There are so many indications that point to the fact that this was not a dream, but rather this was a physical experience of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, when Rasulullah he goes, we know that he came across many prophets. And he went through each sky. The very first sky he met was who? Anyone know? He met Adam alayhi salam. The second one he met was? Isa and Yahya. Okay, Isa and Yahya. The third one? Yusuf alayhi salam. Okay. Fourth one? Idris alayhi salam. Fifth? Harun. Uh, sixth? Musa alayhi salam. And the last one? Ibrahim alayhi salam. MashaAllah, this young man, he knew all of them, MashaAllah. <laughs> MashaAllah, barakallahu feek. So now, the question is that why these? Why these um, eight different anbiya? Why these? Why not others? Now, there are, of course, different interpretations given by other ulama that why was it these? And remember, this happened right before the hijrah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the Isra, by the way, it is mentioned by some of the ulama that Surah Isra was sent to the Prophet ﷺ, was given to the Prophet ﷺ one year before Hijrah as a blueprint of what is coming in Medina. Okay, what is, the, what is coming in Medina? And by the way, there are some even Sahaba radiallahu anhum who are of the opinion that there are there is a passage in Surah Al Isra. It starts off with وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّا وَبِالْوَائِدَيْنِ إِحْسَنَا This is an ayah you have heard. But there are 10 commandments mentioned over there. And some of the ulama are of the opinion that these were the same 10 commandments that were given to Bani Israel, by the way. Okay? This is their opinion. Now, nonetheless, why these anbiya? So the ulama have speculated and they have come with their own explanation. What is their explanation? 
Adam alayhi salam, just like Adam alayhi salam, he had to leave that place which was near and dear to him, Jannah. Likewise, you, O Muhammad sallallahu you will be forced to leave the place which you love very much, which is Makkah. And this is why, by the way, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, on his way out from Makkah, he kept on, while he was leaving, the, uh, while he was leaving uh, Makkah, he kept on turning around, looking at the Kaaba, and saying things out of, you know, out of pain. That, you know, it was the expressions of the Prophet ﷺ, how much he would miss this place, and how much he's going to miss this place, and so forth. And by the way, if you study Sirah, even the Sahaba ﷺ, when they went to Medina, they were sick. They were homesick. They felt like this is not a place where we can live. Even though they're nowadays is in the same country, it's the same land and so forth, but they actually felt that we'd rather go back to Mecca and suffer, you know, the, the persecution at the hands of the Quraysh. But we know that place that is still considered as home. That is when Rasulullah he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he put barakah in Medina. The next one is Yahya Isa alayhi salam. That who were the primary opposition of Isa and Yahya? It was Bani Israel. And now that you're going to Medina, your primary opposition is going to be who? The, the, the Jewish people of that community. And lo and behold, when the Prophet ﷺ, he went and things changed in Islam, meaning that the Qibla was the same. 18 months after the Qibla changed, you all know this. Qibla changed from Maj Aqsa to uh, to Mecca. This is when slowly and gradually the Jewish community became more hostile to Rasulullah wasallam. What was the symbolic nature behind Yusuf Islam's visit? That the fact that Yusuf Islam's closest family members were plotting and planning against him. You, O Muhammad wasallam, your closest family members and your closest tribe members are going to plot and plan against you too. Idris salam. Idris salam, the ulama, they say that because not men, not, there's not much mentioned in the Qur'an regarding his story, but the fact that we do find in the Qur'an, وَرَفَعْنَاهُ مَكَانًا عَلِيَّةً وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ إِدْرِيسِ إِنَّهُ كَانَ صَدِّقَ النَّبِيَّةً وَرَفَعْنَاهُ مَكَانًا عَلِيَّةً Allah says regarding Idris salam, that we will give him a very special and honorable rank. We will elevate his status. So the ulama, they say that this is perhaps an indication from Allah that Allah will elevate your status. When it came to Musa and Harun alayhi salam, the ulama they say that is very similar. That just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gave Musa alayhi salam the assistance and the aid of Harun alayhi salam, which helped him propel his da'wah. Likewise, when you go to Medina, you will have a group of people there waiting for you, and you will have supporters. This is what the ulama they say. And finally, Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim alayhi salam, because this is where he built, he built the Kaaba in Mecca, and the ulama, they say that perhaps this is an indication from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that just like Ibrahim alayhi salam was able to establish monotheism in Mecca, a day will come also, once again, that you will be able to re-establish monotheism in Mecca. Because once again, at that time, it's, uh, monotheism, tawheed, and the oneness of Allah was not established in Mecca, they used to still worship idols. Now, the next thing is that when we talk about, there's another thing that we talk, we, we have heard about Isra wal-Mi'raj, and that is that we know, of course, there's no doubt in the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the gift of salah to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But then there is another, you know, theory out there that this at-tahiyyat that you and I, we recite in our salat, 
This was perhaps a conversation between Allah and His Prophet Okay, this is a theory that you know I've heard many times. Uh, in fact, it has been given. You know, people say this even on members and khutbas and so forth. That this is a, a conversation between Allah and His Prophet That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. The Prophet ﷺ is saying, At-tahiyyatu lillah, wa-salawat wa-tayyibat. And Allah is responding by saying, As-salamu alayka, ayyuhan nabi, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So, by the way, this is a total fabrication. Okay? There is no merit to this, there is no evidence of this, and there is no proof of this. Okay? Now, some people, they made this because it can, if you look at the, the way I was putting it, anyone would think that, okay, this probably is a conversation. But there is no proof of this in any authentic sources. So that is why we don't ever view this as a conversation between Allah and Prophet ﷺ. Now, the last thing. One thing that we have also learned from this incident of Isra wal Miraj is that when you are a true slave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you make dua in the state of distress, you make dua in the state of distress, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there. Think about it. When a person is always dedicated, and they're always focused, and they don't lose trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No matter what the situation is, no matter if the situation is out of their control, and no matter how many times there's always setbacks after setbacks after setbacks, they never still lose their trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, Yusuf alayhi salam, there are so many setbacks in his life, but he never lost his trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So think about this, even when it comes to any one of us, even there might be setbacks after setbacks, but if we put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the most critical times in your life, when you call out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you make a sincere dua, Allah will be there to accept your, accept your call. I'm going to share one story with you. A very, it's actually a very interesting story. I'm going to finish off this inshallah. Just to show you that when you are in extreme distress cases, when you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah accepts. This was some time ago. I was actually sitting on Clubhouse. It's a, it's a social media app. And there was a person, you know, he was just sharing a story. And, he, and the story is basically that there were some youth who came to the masjid. And they said, that, you know what, instead of doing something at the masjid, let's go outside. Let's do something outside. So they went outside. So you have, like, they, they asked one of the youth that, where are you? We're going to come pick you up. So there were a handful of youth, okay? And these were like tall, young, you know, tall young men. And there was one who was a little shorter. And so what happened was that they went to that place to go pick him up. What someone saw was that... And this is what that person, they called the cops and they said that I saw a group of young men taking and picking up a small, you know, a younger person and forcing them into the car. Now these were just youth, what they were doing is they were just having a good time, you know, they were trying to pull them into the car and, you know, trying to ask them to come into the car and so forth. They were just messing around with each other. There was nothing wrong. But what that woman actually thought was that there was a, a kidnapping taking place. Okay, so she called the police. And she said that, I have witnessed a kidnapping, you have to go, and these are, this is the cars, these are the license plate, and so forth. So the cops caught up to these, there were two cars. The cops came, they arrested all the youth, okay? They arrested all the youth. And all the parents are losing their mind. What happened? Once again, it's a misunderstanding, and so forth. These youth are telling the cops that this is not what you think it is. This is no kidnapping, you understand? This is just, you know, we know each other, you know, our parents know each other, we just came to pick him up. That person thought it was a kidnapping, but there's no kidnapping, but 
the police officers had to follow protocol, so what did they do is, they booked them, put them in handcuffs, took them to the jail. Now, all the parents are worried, calling attorneys and so forth. Now, there was one youth who was in there, who was like sort of the leader of all the youth. And he was in a cell, okay, he was in a cell with another young man who was not very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but nonetheless, he used to come to the masjid time to time and attending, attending halaqahs and so forth. So he told him that, look, he told all the, all the young, all the guys and all the youth that you are seriously, I can see from your faces that you are in a state of distress. You've never experienced jail. Now you're sitting behind bars, you're worried, you're concerned. Make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a time of distress. And whatever dua that you make, inshallah, Allah will accept it. And subhanAllah, all these kids, they start, you know, you know, think about their khushua, okay, for a moment. Think about their level of sincerity. So they all made wudu, they're all praying salah, they're crying, Ya Allah, please save us, we don't want to go to jail, and so forth. And after a while, there was a, a parent who comes, and he brings food for his son, okay? And what does he bring? He brings a double cheeseburger for him, okay? <laughs> he brought a double cheeseburger for him. So the guy who was in, you know, the, the guy who was, there were like two, two in each cell. So when that double cheeseburger comes for this kid, the man says to him that, I told you to make dua. What did you make dua for? And he says that I was really hungry. I did ask for a double cheeseburger. <laughs> so he made dua for a double cheeseburger in the state of distress. He made dua for a double cheeseburger, and lo and behold, Allah gave him a cheeseburger. And that time he says, you feel like slapping him and said that, had you made dua that we would get out, that we would be out by now. You understand? So the point is this, okay? <laughs> that in the state of distress, when you make a sincere dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and a sincere dua, Allah will always accept your du'as, insha'Allah. So I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us from amongst those who apply, uh, who listen attentively, who apply properly. Ameen Rabbil Alameen. Rizakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. <laughs> والخاشعين والخاشعات والمتصدقين والمتصدقات والصائمين والصائمات والحافظين فروجهم والحافظات والذاكرين الله كثيرا والذاكرات أعد الله لهم مغفرة وأجرا عظيما